Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and since 2016, Monica Shimonik has been coaching moms and dads as they navigate through the treacherous waters of the family law racket. Aside from her workshops, which helps with specific problems, her 12-week signature course, The Best Interest of the Parent, uses a four-quadrant model to create a robust healing and empowerment system so that you control the narrative in your life, not the state. Use coupon code SLAMTHEGAVEL to get 10% off the course, and that will be in the podcast notes. And right now I have an excellent guest. His name is Bill Edgett. He has been in the family court system since 2015 and has not had a trial yet. Prior to each trial, an emergency motion has been filed by his ex for full custody of the children based on allegations made to CPS. The commencement of investigations led to emergency applications to the courts, which had to be resolved prior to trial. Now, finally, he does have a three-day trial scheduled believe it or not, for January 26th through the 28th of 2022. He's had numerous lawyers and also represented himself in family court matters and was forced to sell his home and use his retirement savings for legal fees, trying to keep his children in his life. Fortunately, they are. Uh, he's got two children. His daughter's 11 and his son is nine. And I welcome you, Bill Edgett. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. So we have a lot to learn from you, you know, why has this taken so long to get into a trial? Well, um, the cases seem to be handled the same way uh, when divorce proceedings commence. And if you look at the statistics, most divorce cases do not go to trial. They're resolved prior to trial. And the province of New Brunswick, where I reside, um, the statistics are 98% of divorces resolved prior to trial. So only 2% actually make it to the trial stage. So when you have one of these cases that is going to go to trial, the judges, the lawyers, and everyone else seem to tell the people, no, no, this is how this works. And instead of recognizing that you're one of the 2% cases that may be different and it's got to be handled differently, they try to handle you the same as the other 98%. And they will schedule case conference and meetings in the hopes that you two are going to get tired of fighting, arguing about these issues, and come up with agreement on your own so they don't have to make any real decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's what I see as the, the part of the process. There's no identification to recognize the case as high conflict until after there is a trial. And once there has been a trial, it has now been a high conflict case. You know, what, what can you do when you find yourself in this situation of being hauled into family court? And it seems like once you get hauled in, you can't get out of this mess. Well, you're right. You're being dragged into a situation, whether you want to take part in it or not, um, whether you want to uh, be reasonable, come out with an, uh, an agreement with uh, your former partner, um, without getting the courts or lawyers involved. Um, this is your best road and your best solution because mm -hmm. the two of you have control over the custody and access issues and every, all, every, over everything. You have control over everything. As soon as you go to court, you're turning over 
the decision-making power to the courts mm-hmm. it's taken out of your hands and you're not always going to get which what you like or what's best for you or the children because if you're in one of those cases it's high conflict um i believe it was dr craig childress who states when you have two parties that cannot come to an agreement that are forced to go to trial over custody and access issues you have one of those parties that suffers from a personality disorder most likely borderline or narcissistic personality disorder and there is never going to be any reasonable communication or agreement between those parties and that's where the process breaks down they keep going with the numbers 98% resolved let's just keep giving them more time more time more time and instead of realizing that this is an issue that needs to be dealt with because the longer it goes on the more damage and conflict it creates and causes to everyone involved definitely and sometimes a judge will say when, once you get in there, the judge will say, you know, you two figure out a visitation schedule. <laughs> and that, like you said, is not going to happen when you're dealing with a personality disorder. Uh, that's exactly the case. And they don't understand that. Um, I've had um, at least two or three judges. Um, my ex is well-educated. She's gone to university. She's smart. Um, I've gone to university we're, we're, you know, we're both average people of good education and they're sitting there saying, how come you two people cannot come to an agreement on these issues? Mm-hmm. And uh, they're shaking their heads and it's because they don't recognize the situation. Um, they need a specialist to come in and Dr. Stephen Miller, when he did his report for the state of Massachusetts in 2014, he said the courts get make decisions and get the decisions wrong 95% of the time. Because if you're dealing with one person who is manipulative and they've told a story and they've got the courts and the police acting against the other party, then that person is traumatized. And when they show up to court, they're emotional and erratic because they're suffering from trauma. So they present like they're erratic and emotional and everyone sees that And because they're behaving that way, they're assumed to be the problem, Mm -hmm. not realizing that this is not their normal range behavior. It's not normal range behavior for anyone. This is normal range behavior for a traumatized person. And that's what you're dealing with. And instead of helping them or making decisions that they're, they're looked at as the cause of all the problems and courts and everyone generally make the decisions. And according to Stephen Miller, 95% of the times, they rule against these people and make the situation worse. Mm-hmm. Now, there's always talk about uh, weaponizing parental alienation in the courtroom, where if uh, someone has said they're, they've been uh, abused, uh, physically abused, and um, the other parent will use parental alienation against them, thus damaging the, the abused victim. So what do you think of that? Well, um, I believe that um, theory was put forward by Joan Meyer and was recently um, gone over by uh, Jill Harmon in Colorado and uh, Lorandos. Um, the two of them went together and looked over the work of Meyer and the term that she didn't use proper scientific method for conducting 
her examination of the statistics and providing her report. In fact, they, um, they provided their own report. Um, in the UK, Channel 4 just wrote, an, uh, they had a TV show that they just posted recently. This is going around um, a lot right now in the PA community that um, they portrayed men as the abusers in all these situations of an alienation was just an excuse to try for them to use as a legal tactic to try and win custody to cover up the fact that they were abusive to their spouse or their children, um, which is not the case. Um, that is a false narrative that is part of the problem uh, with the court system because most people that are coming up with that story or moving, pushing it forward, that narrative, are, are lawyers. Mm -hmm. The lawyers and the courts and the judges the longer these cases go on, the more they get paid. The only people not being paid when you're in that courtroom is the applicant and the respondent, the two people that are there for help, trying to get, resolve their custody and their marital issues, whether it be pensions, um, child support, spousal support, these issues. Mm -hmm. Instead of getting help with these issues, they're dragged out. Both parties are sucked of all their money. And everyone else is getting rich and no one's helping the situation. In fact, they help the situation escalate. Specifically, when things like this are brought forward, um, again, reports that were made by Joan Meyer where they state that men make this up because they're trying to counteract the fact that they were abusive and they want to try to get custody of their child. Um, the stats of all studies do not show that the stats show that both men and women are about equally alienated by their spouse whether they're male or female so if this theory that alienation is only brought up by abusive men they're not even looking at the women that suffer from alienation mm -hmm. and i believe that number to be around 50 percent i've seen numbers between 65 uh, male, 35 female, up to 50-50. I think 50-50 is a good, uh, a good number just to say that parents that suffer from alienation are both, both male and female equally um, mm -hmm. because the people that alienate, it's not based on gender, it's based on their personality disorders. Mm -hmm. um, statistically, they say five to six people in the general population suffer from borderline personality disorder. Again, five to 6% suffer from narcissistic personality disorder. And high conflict divorces make up 12 to 15% of all divorces. Now, if you look at the 12% accounting for the borderline and narcissistic personality disorder, there's 3% missing, which would be your sociopaths, um, people with other disorders that would make up that 15% now. And as Childress said, if you've got a divorce where the two parents cannot come to an agreement for custody and access, one of them suffers from a disorder and you have to determine which one it is before mm -hmm. you make things worse or you escalate the situation. Now, I, I personally think these judges can't figure this out. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. They can't. And I think they're, 
again, these are just my thoughts from my appearances in court and from what I've observed. Um, a lot of them, they know the law and they're educated and they're smart. But if they haven't gone through this process, they don't recognize the pathologies that are at play or the behaviors that are happening to determine which party is lying and which one is telling the truth. And Dr. Stephen Miller said even psychiatrists or trained professionals can miss this because they have the academic skills to recognize this, but they don't see these personalities disorders in everyday places. Mm -hmm. The only place that these, these personality disorders, such as borderline and narcissistic personality disorders are observed, there, there's two places they're observed. One is in jail and the other is in family courts. Mm -hmm. And these are, again, court-ordered assessments to determine what is wrong with these people. So generally speaking, if a person suffers from narcissistic borderline personality disorder, they do not seek help because there's nothing wrong with them. It's everyone else. Right, right. So, so, so the, even a specialist who works with therapy and is trained to recognize these pathologies doesn't get a chance to work with these people to see, see it firsthand. Mm -hmm. that's, what's, that's what's needed is someone that recognizes this immediately and they can tell in a very short amount of time which person is the alienator and which one is alienating. You would think that these judges being in there for years, some of them have been in family court for years, would catch on to these behaviors? There, there is... Um... There is a new push. The Divorce Act in Canada changed to mm -hmm. recognize controlling behaviors, which went into effect March 1st of this year, 2021. The problem is the judges are from a different era, different generation uh, prior to when divorce was common. Divorce wasn't common until late 70s, early 80s. Um, prior to that, divorces were through the church and mm -hmm. women weren't allowed to apply or petition for divorce, only men and they had to have grounds. So society has changed drastically from the time when these judges were growing up and what they were used to in, in their life to what mm -hmm. the situation is now. And these judges, while they're, they're educated smart, they think logically. And mm -hmm. people that think logically look at these situations of high conflict and they don't understand them. They can't understand why two parties can't come to an agreement over a simple issue of when the children are going to be with each party. That's, that's, that there's a pretty simple thing to, for two people to work out. They don't recognize that it's not going to ever be worked out between these two parties because one of them will not agree to anything except what they want, mm -hmm. which is why this will go on for years. Uh, you know, Dr. Mark Roseman had said that this is going to affect generation, the next six generations, he said. Yes, um, I, I, it's, it's definitely going to affect a number of generations. Uh, the divorce statistics have steadily increased from the 70s to where they are today. I think it's around 50 percent and divorce numbers are going down. And that's also the reason why um, 
our marriage numbers are going down. That's, that's why the divorce numbers are going down because not as many people are getting married, but the percentage is still about the same. Hmm. So, uh, and that's part of it. Um, borderline and narcissistic personality disorders develop from unresolved childhood trauma and growing up within this family dynamic. So children, when they grow up, seeing one parent being abusive to the other and the rest of the family, they think that's normal. Now, um, I spoke with a friend of mine who is a grandfather, and his grandchildren are also suffering from alienation. And he was telling me a story one day about his youngest son. And he was trying to talk to him and give him a little bit of information that he thought would be insightful to help him understand the situation so they might have a better relationship with one another. So he said, son, I don't want to speak disparagingly of your mother, but she's a liar. Mm -hmm. The son's reply was, of course she is. They all lie. It's because of her background. And uh, she said, they all lie. That's what they do. And, you know, his father didn't let him know any, anything he didn't know. It's just that the son accepted that as being normal. And that, that's the problem. They grow up thinking lying to people is normal and it's acceptable behavior in our society. And they go through society with those behaviors. Which is also going to, if they marry, encourage more divorce in the, in the future. So this whole system is just going to be rolling and rolling on. Yes, it, it's, it's going to continue. There, there's enough study in this field now and laws are starting to change and there is starting to be more recognition um but it's it's going to take years for everything to come into effect to really make the numbers of alienation or people that suffer from narcissistic borderline personality drop uh those numbers of the average, of the general population that suffer from narcissistic or or display narcissistic or borderline personality traits has been on the increase for a number of years now. It, it went from, um, my numbers are a little, might be a little off on this. I think it was around 15% of the population that displayed uh, spectrum range behavior of narcissism up to around 30 to 35 right now. So that's, that's about a double in the number of people that may not suffer from narcissism, but they display more traits along that spectrum. Now, how did you get through this long period of time since 2015? How have you made it through this? Well, um, I, I, it was very difficult. I, um, I was off work. I went to see my doctor because um, I was suffering from acute anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I had a lot of trouble functioning on a normal, you know, in a normal life on a daily mm -hmm. basis. It was very difficult because I was going through trauma and I didn't really understand what I was going through. And uh, my doctor recommended that I find a support group. And uh, I said, I, like, there's nothing around St. John. I checked like local ads, local groups and couldn't find anything. So I hit Google and uh, came across all kinds of groups. Um, mm -hmm. There's all kinds of support groups. And then there's some for men, some for women, some, there's lots of different groups out there and some of them are good, some of them are bad. I was fortunate enough that 
two people recognized by postings in some of these groups and they contacted me and uh, they were able to help me get through this. And mm -hmm. those two people were David Schubert and Keith Marsalek. And now Keith Marsalek runs, uh, he's the admin and creator of the Parental Alienation Worldwide Support Group. Mm -hmm. I am one of the admins for that group and I basically look after the Canadian pages. We have two pages here in Canada, one for New Brunswick and one for Nova Scotia. Um, I'm a member of the all the other groups affiliated with the Parental Alienation Worldwide Support Group, but I try to focus mainly on the Canadian while him and the others look after the rest. And mm -hmm. um, I was fortunate enough to find that group with a lot of people who were going through the same as me. And that, that was, that was, that was amazing to find that because mm -hmm. I felt really alone there. So it was, it was very difficult. And your friends would tell you things, Oh, things will get better. This will get worked out. And um, that, the longer you go, the more you realize that's not how it's going to be. So mm -hmm. find some other people that told me what to expect and how to move forward instead of relying on things to just get better um, mm -hmm. really helped me from being stuck where I was and mm -hmm. hoping that things would change. Did you have a supportive family? You know, I don't know. Were, you, were your parents supportive? My parents were very supportive and they were also being subjected to harassment uh, as well and they they kept that from me because um mm -hmm. i was i was arrested for criminal harassment and i had a recognizance brought against me a peace bond or a restraining order however you would like to term it and uh, while that was against me um, unknown to me my ex was paying visits to my parents home knocking on the doors and windows, ringing the doorbell, and um, to the point where they had to call the police to make reports of it. Um, again, I believe this was an attempt at her to provoke me to contact her out of anger and frustration to breach the peace bond, which would have ended up me being in jail with a criminal record. Mm -hmm. So um, it... It was, it's very hard because at that time I was very emotional and very traumatized and I feel horrible that my parents had to be subjected to that behaviors and um, they've been very supportive. They've helped me, they've, they've helped my children, uh, their grandchildren, and uh, they're trying to teach them the things that they may have missed because of this period and their growth and development. So they've, um, they, they got my son a book from Brene Brown to teach empathy. And um, mm -hmm. they've put a lot of study into this too, to try to help their grandchildren uh, recover from the behaviors. Um, it's, it's very difficult. So um, you, you need, you definitely need support to get through this. Mm -hmm. And my friends, while they're very loving and caring, they'll say, oh, the, the police will figure it out, the judges, the, everyone will figure it out. And I'm talking to all these other people who have gone through it. And uh, from what I'm hearing, they don't. This will just continue until you get up there and get some help. 
You need the right people to recognize what's going on so you can get a path forward. Otherwise, you're going to stay the same because the courts don't want to make a decision. The status quo has already been created. Mm-hmm. And that's all they want to do is follow that. Could you please mention that book for kids again? Um, I'm sorry. I, it was Brene Brown. I'm not sure the name of the book. My parents have it at their home. I, um, I, I can't remember, but Brene Brown, she's, um, she's got lots of uh, things on Facebook, uh, little memes mm-hmm. and stories and um, a lot of books out there and uh, a lot of people reference her work. And I just oh, remember, good. I just re- recognized the name when I saw that, that was one of the books that my parents had gotten for my son to teach him about empathy. So um, I, was, I was very happy to see that they were also studying and learning and uh, trying to trying to help me and their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really great. Oh, very it was. Fortunate. I was very yeah. fortunate to have that kind of support. Definitely, because some people don't. No. And um, the support groups are very helpful as well because you're not going to get asked all those questions. Why didn't you do this? Well, you should have called this, or you should have done this. And, Mm-hmm. You know, people have done everything they, they, they can. They've mm-hmm. contacted everyone they can, and everyone turns them away because the police, when they're told a story, the first story they were told was, I was an abusive person. I'm a martial arts instructor, and I can kill people with the snap of a finger because I know pressure points. Mm-hmm. So when they come to ask me questions, they're not really listening to anything I say. They're just looking to see if I say anything to corroborate the story they've been told. Mm-hmm. And they disregard everything I say. So the police reports get made up. And the only thing that's in it is a statement that were given to them that they're now contacting me about. And they don't put any of my statements in because I've got the reports that were made to the police under the Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. And the story is so one-sided when you see them. And that's part of how these alienators and abusers get the courts to help them. Mm-hmm. They enlist the police first. The police then go to child protection or they go to child protection. So now you got police reports, you've got child protection reports against this abusive parent, and it all goes to the family court, which is not where these issues are to be dealt with. Child mm-hmm. abuse is a criminal matter and it should mm-hmm. be dealt with in criminal court. But instead of that happening, they pass it all over to the family court. Mm-hmm. There are no standards that need to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt or anything. And the judges are free to make, basically make any decisions they want based mm-hmm. on their opinions, thoughts alone, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, has been the case in my situation. And once a side has been taken... It's going to be that way throughout all of your following court proceedings. And that's definitely correct. And I've also found the judge will just listen to the inept CPS caseworker. They'll just go with their recommendation. Well, I, uh, I've, I managed to meet a couple of... Uh, they used to do parental assessments for the courts. I don't know their exact qualifications of psychiatry, psychology, but they work with children. 
and work with uh, traumatized children and try to help them. There's there's two of them. They uh, they they work together at a consulting firm here in uh, New Brunswick, mm-hmm. and they used to do these assessments for the courts. And one of the reasons they no longer do them is because even when they made recommendations to the courts, the judges regularly ignored them. So people were paying thousands of dollars to have these assessments done by these people that just to be ignored. So they're, they're draining these people's funds, mm-hmm. creating more trauma for these people because it, it's, it's taken away their ability to look after their children or maybe even have a home or vehicle to get to work. Mm-hmm. So it, it directly impacts the families and like I said, once they, they pick a side, that's basically it. And uh, it's almost impossible. Again, in family courts, there's no burden of proof that needs to be met. It's just up to the judge's discretion, basically. And he can impose whatever sentence he would like. And I think there should be more accountabilities in the, in the courtroom. Yes, there definitely should be more accountabilities in the courtroom. And one of those things, uh, James Kelly is uh, mm-hmm. pushed for is to have the courtrooms open and allow uh, allow everything to be reported, have court watchers there to watch mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, I know in my court cases when I've been there, I've, I was forced to learn the rules of court for the province of New Brunswick. And um, my children were kept from me in violation of rule 60 of the rules of court for the province of New Brunswick. Rule 60 states that a court order that is made does not go into effect until it is signed and stamped as received and filed with the court. So on one of the emergency applications, the judge ordered my ex to be granted sole custody of the children pending the outcome of the third investigation into me by child protection. Even though the two prior investigations, I was cleared. I was cleared of criminal harassment. I was cleared of breach of undertaking. I was found innocent. And there was no evidence in the previous four to five years that I had done anything wrong. But this third investigation, because of the history, he chose to award her sole custody and in the outcome of the investigation. And the investigation was conducted by a social worker and in conjunction with the RCMP, which would be similar to a state police in the United States. Um, so both female officers interviewed my children and determined that the allegations were false, mm-hmm. that uh, there was no evidence that I had ever hurt my children or kept them in unfit living conditions. And they closed the file. So even once the file was closed, the judge had made his interim order. When we came back to court and provided him the evidence by both child protection and the RCMP that they closed the the investigations on both these cases, that he said, well, we're going to work back uh, custody or work back an access schedule. So for the following week, you'll be able to have the children on the weekend following week they'll be with their mother the following week they can be with you following week they're with their mother then you come back to court 
I'll make a final decision in the custody and access. Hmm. Now, during this whole period, we had a divorce agreement, joint shared custody in place. The judge, while he ordered my ex to be the sole care, have sole custody of the children, he didn't, he didn't put it in writing. He didn't sign it and he didn't file it with the court. So during the period of this time, my children were being kept from me. Um, my ex and her partner were harassing one of my friends and me. So I managed to get a restraining order against her under the Infant Partner Violence Act. Uh, New Brunswick has changed from domestic violence to intimate partner violence and recognized what I was going through as infant partner violence. And uh, um, they issued a restraining order against her until we got to court. And when we got to court, um, I was represented by uh, legal aid. And he had asked the judge, uh, he was very sly about it. He, he knew exactly what was going on with the situation. He'd seen it before and I knew by how he questioned the witnesses. And there was just one witness, her, uh, boy, her partner. Um, and then I asked the judge if I could speak and she said, no, you have a lawyer representing you. So I wasn't even allowed to address the lies he was telling in his testimony, but the lawyer, like I said, he, he understood the situation and um, he did a very good job of basically uh, getting the person testifying to lie uh, about situations and events that took place. And then he asked the judge about rule 60 of the rules of court. Now, again, rule 60 states that until a court order is signed, stamped and filed with the court, it does not go into effect. So during this time, I still had joint and shared custody and my children should have been in my care. Mm -hmm. And the judge said, there's no precedence for the province of New Brunswick on this matter. We're gonna leave things as they are. I'm removing the restraining order effective immediately, which again, she can't do because rules of court, rule 60 of the rules of court states, no court order is valid until it is signed and filed with the court. So she said, when you leave this courtroom, that's gone restraining order is gone. It's, go it's into effect immediately. So the judges have already made their decision from the previous work that's gone on in these cases, and they go along and violate people's rights and violate the rules of court, which is their job to know. I, I, I'm not supposed to know what rule 60 of court is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but now I do because it was used against me. And I also know in my civil rights, I'm I have the right to be treated as if innocent to prove guilty before a judge, jury, or tribunal of my peers. And when that judge granted my ex sole custody, that's exactly what he did. He violated my civil rights and made a judgment against me based on allegations alone. Mm -hmm. And even after the proof came back, the allegations were false. There was no penalty uh, against the person who made the false allegations and the trial that we had scheduled before this emergency hearing, he said, no trial. Everything goes back to normal. You guys go away. I don't want to see us back here. So we had a five-day trial scheduled. And because of the emergency application and then me not seeing my children for the entire summer because of these false allegations, 
he just wiped away the trial. So I had to make another motion and file a, um, <laughs> I had to file with the provincial court an appeal for the judge's decision to get a court date, even though we had a court date scheduled prior to this. And this, the judgment he made was not a final order. Again, he made an interim order and signed it at the end of it. And he also signed the other order stating she had sole custody for the period of until the end of the investigation. So he, he signed three interim orders and filed them all on the same date at the end of all this and then said no trial. So when I called the courthouse to ask about our court dates, there is none. It was all dealt with. I said, no, the only issues that were dealt with were the ones under the emergency application. We still have many issues that were not dealt with that we had scheduled for a five day trial. So I had to file an appeal to get that trial. And um, I'm still waiting for that trial. That was, it's been two years now. So That is terrible. That's terrible. I'm so sorry you're going through that. Well, that is the process. And uh, this is what, that's why I'm here to share this. And I'm trying to let people know, you know, how to get through this system. So they don't keep paying lawyers to do work that they can do. Because um, that's where I went. I, I spent, I had retirement savings. And I, I had I spent everything I had. Mm -hmm. I spent everything I had to uh, try to fight this. And I was forced to learn this so mm -hmm. I could represent myself and uh, still have a home to look after my children. Mm -hmm. now, did you notice any signs of parental alienation in your children that maybe were starting to have? Yes, I, I, I have noticed a number of them. Um, when my, my, my children were three and five when we separated 2015. And uh, I got a phone call at work one night. My son would have been five and it was from his mother's cell phone. And he called to say, he, just, he was just screaming bye. And I thought he was saying hi, because I was at work. I, I work in an industrial mm -hmm. place and it was very loud. And I said, hey, how you doing? And he kept saying bye. I'm like, what are you doing? He said, I'm just watching TV. Bye. I said, what are you doing? What, what you watching? He goes, I don't want to see you no more, Daddy. Bye. What'd you say, Button? I don't want you anymore, Daddy. Bye. And um, all I could say was, bye, I love you. Mm -hmm. and, um, that was, I, I, I played that for one of the the psychologist I met with to try and understand what I was going through and what my children were going through. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, you can hear that he is confused and conflicted. And um, that is not normal for a child to call up a parent and say that. Mm -hmm. So that's just one of the things I've, that, that I have as evidence that my children have been su subjected to coercive controlling manipulative behaviors but the courts don't want to look at it i've submitted it in the form of a cd i've typed it out i've, I've given them flash drives and mm -hmm. they say we do not accept this so the only way i can get this on the record in the court is if i get the trial hmm. I, now were you able to correct 
your son's behaviors or not? It's it's challenging. Um, at the time, I was still traumatized, and I didn't completely understand the dynamics of the situation I was in. So I I, I was referring to these um, support groups and people and asking these questions, how do I deal with this? And looking up uh, specialists uh, and their recommendations on how to deal with uh, different behaviors. And by following that, um, I was able to change and see the change of behaviors in my children. Um, I was uh, a, a scout leader for my children and we were out camping and out on a hike and everyone, all the children had picked up a walking stick. And my son had picked one up too, but then he went and picked up another boy's walking stick. The other boy said, that's mine. And he was kind of, no, it's not, it's mine. It's, and he, he was a little hostile with him. So the other little boy was upset. So I, 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 I took Matthew aside. I said, Matthew, that's not your stick. You know it. His wife thought it was my stick. And he I said, Matthew, what you're doing is bullying that boy. When I told him that, he started crying. Mm. Now, he didn't recognize that his behavior was wrong because he treats his sister that way. And I recognize the different way they're treated um, by, again, speaking with the psychologist to determine how to deal with each one. And he recognized one as the scapegoat, one as the golden child, which is quite common in these situations. And uh, Matthew, being treated as the golden child, um, is allowed to treat a sister with certain behaviors that normally wouldn't be acceptable. And he recognizes that he's, it's not acceptable to treat his friends the way he treats his sister because they wouldn't be his friends anymore. <laughs> and We've, we've worked past that and we're doing good with that. But when he was bullying that boy, he had no idea he was doing it. And when I told him that's what he was doing, it, it, he, he understood what bullying, he knows what bullying is and he thinks it's wrong, but he didn't make the connection that that's what he was doing, his behavior. He saw it as normal and he was treating people outside the family in that manner where it was acceptable when he's in that you know in 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 his home family at, at with with their other parents so it's um it's been difficult to um overcome these behaviors but uh fortunately i like i said i i i've i found a good support group um you want a support group where people will provide you good information there's not a lot of fighting and arguing uh, over issues or men do this and women do that. Um, mm -hmm. If you're looking for a common group uh, and a group for support, uh, try to find one where men and women aren't arguing over this issue because they lose sight of the fact children are the ones being abused and they're the ones that need help and you need to learn what to do to help them. Mm -hmm. so, so I was fortunate enough to um, find parental alienation worldwide support group and Keith does a great job of monitoring that yes. group all the people in the activity and make sure that everything's positive any negativity gets removed from that group very quickly mm -hmm. there are a number of groups when in one person they um 
they say these people are resigned to their fate and they go to these groups and all of them will bash the other party or men and women and it's mm -hmm. it's constant negativity mm -hmm. and she referred to these people as resigned mm -hmm. they, they, they're not moving forward they're they're stuck where they are and that's how they're going to be because they're not trying to move forward they're happy to just sit there and bash and have other people to bash people with them mm -hmm. those groups you want to avoid you need good supports you need good information to be able to make it through this because it is very traumatizing and very difficult to get through definitely um you know with some of these groups they can be very toxic yes and uh you know these these admins have to watch these pages very closely you know it's not they're not they're just re-traumatizing the victim yeah it, it is it's it's uh it, it it is a it is difficult because um well one of the Keith opened my eyes, Keith, mm -hmm. Keith Marsalek, with when uh, early on in my stage, uh, I, I was I was I was broken. I uh, I was off work at the time, I believe. I, mm -hmm. I, um, I wasn't doing much of anything. I wasn't. I, I was just I was just lost, mm -hmm. and um, he he. he he uh, offered to talk with me. Mm -hmm. So we spoke over the phone. And one of the things he said to me was that, um, is that you and I, we're on the same road. We're just at different points of time. Mm -hmm. And that really painted a picture for me. Like I'm, and I, I know he understands what I'm talking about because mm -hmm. obviously he's been through it before, but he was speaking very intelligently, clear, helpful, kind, mm -hmm. and I was nowhere near that. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't even picture myself and him being on the same road. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but it did give me the hope that he was where I am at one point, and he's where he is now, that I could make it there, mm -hmm. and um, my life could be better. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm so thankful. To him and again Dave Schubert the two those two reached out to me very early and uh, helped me get the support I needed to get through all this yeah those those two are great guys they are they they're they're really great I, uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad they're on there um what was the one thing you could say that really pulled you through this but besides Keith <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was one of the big things but um realizing I wasn't alone Mm -hmm. it's it's so lonely because basically people that suffer from alienation are victims of abuse they've been in an abusive relationship and they don't even know it mm -hmm. by the time the relationship is over they're now not just traumatized from the end of the relationship and abuse they've been suffering from for years now they have the police child protection and the courts involved and if a story is made against you saying you're abusive or neglectful or harmful or violent, you're not going to be seeing your children for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that, that was 
not on top of everything else. It is, it's, it's so, so difficult to move past. Mm-hmm. So difficult. It's, um, so people, you need help. If you're in that situation, you need, you need to be able to speak to someone that understands what you're going through and can give you some steps forward. So realizing I wasn't alone to go through this and there were other people that I could reach out to and they could put me on the path for those steps to move forward was a way of getting me out of the state I was in where I was resigned to my fate because I had no control over anything that was going on because I was being hit by all sides. Mm -hmm. So that you, you, you need to find a path. You need some help. You need guidance because you're traumatized and you're going to make bad decisions because Mm -hmm. you're making them based on emotions and fear instead Mm -hmm. of making good decisions. And you need people to help you make those good decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, if people want to talk to you, how can they reach you? Well, I have, um, I have posted my phone number um, on different pages. I do, do help to admin the Parental Alienation Worldwide Support Group. And I look after the New Brunswick and the Nova Scotia page. So they can contact me there. My Facebook page is Bill Edget. Um, they can message me there. And if I also help to run Parental Alienation Support Group Canada. Um, I'm a moderator for that group. And they can also contact me there. Uh, if anyone would like my email, um, I can put it up there. Uh, we can put it in the chats or I can just say it out right now. It's uh, okay. wedget11, W-E-D-G-E-T-T-11 at hotmail.com. Um, Facebook might be an easier way to get me. Hit me on Messenger. Um, again, Bill Edget. I live in Grand Bay, Westfield, New Brunswick, Canada. Look me up, find me, and send me a message. I get back to everyone who contacts me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to have you back on for uh, an update or, you know, see what's going on with you. That would be great. I'd be happy to. Um, I thank you again for um, allowing me on here to share a little bit of uh, my story and information I've learned. Hopefully uh, other people can learn from this as well. Oh, I have. And I totally appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate the time really too. <laughs> Well, don't jump off, okay? Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again with Bill in the future for another exciting episodes and more. Thank you again, Bill. Thank you.